You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Animaltopia on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Robert Semro. Thank you for joining us. On today's show, we will speak with a few whose efforts on 9-11 and after have had a tremendous impact. We will speak with Alice Holmes from New Jersey Task Force One, who along with her live find search and rescue dog, was on the scene within hours searching the rubble. We will also speak with John Valvardi from PA Recovery Dogs. John was the assistant incident commander for the Canine Recovery Task Force at the Fresh Kill Landfill on Staten Island after the events of 9-11. We will also talk to noted author Nona Kilgore Bauer, author of Hero Dogs of 9-11, which chronicles 77 of the search and rescue teams. She has recently updated the book with more than 100 pages of new information. We'll be right back with Alice, John, and Nona after these messages from our sponsors. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Love your pets but wish their medications were a lot less expensive? They are at 1-800-PET-MEDS. You'll not only save on flea and heartworm medications, but on prescriptions for arthritis, incontinence, thyroid, and more. And you get fast service, free shipping, and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Plus, our licensed pharmacists ensure accuracy, monitor drug interaction, and more. See why over 5 million people have trusted their pet's health to 1-800-PET-MEDS, America's largest pet pharmacy. Call now or order online. Go to PetMeds.com forward slash Lucky, L-U-C-K-Y, to get 10% off any order and free shipping on orders of $39 or more at PetMeds.com. How would you like your business to reach out and invite in our audience? We have a brand new trademark concept called InfoSeeds. InfoSeeds are short 20-second seeds of information about your place of business, practice, or service is the best, most cost-effective way to invite us in. We only have a limited number of slots left. For more information, visit the website. PetLifeRadio.com Click on Sponsorship Information. There you can listen to a sample of InfoSeed. Remember, only a limited number of opportunities are available. Hi, this is Marcy Davis and my service dog, Whistle, and we're your hosts of Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. Working Like Dogs is the show where you can learn everything you ever wanted to know about working animals or working dogs. Whether you're a member of a working dog team or you've just seen a working dog or animal out at the mall or the grocery store and you're curious about how these amazing animals work with their human partners, then Working Like Dogs is the show for you. Join us for the inside scoop at Working Like Dogs on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Animaltopia on Pet Life Radio. We begin by revisiting a day that changed the United States forever. 9-11 is a day that will never be forgotten. I can remember watching in terror and disbelief on that day. In the hours and days that followed, I felt so many different emotions and was glued to my television and riveted by the stories of the incredible efforts to rescue anyone still alive. 
and then to recover those who had been tragically lost so that their loved ones could have some small sense of closure and certainty. I was moved to tears on many occasions as I listened to the heart-wrenching stories. I was also filled with tremendous pride hearing about those who were there giving everything they had for as long as they could. On this 10th anniversary, I wanted to do my small little part to say thank you to the estimated more than 950 plus search and rescue teams that worked so hard for such an important cause. The more than 950 working teams were made up of civilian, government, law enforcement, and military personnel who served in response to the attacks of 9-11. I also want to especially recognize and say thank you to the numerous other animal teams, especially the therapy dogs, who also worked so tirelessly for such a long time after 9-11 to help heal hearts and souls affected by this tremendous tragedy. According to FEMA, the rescue and recovery effort at the World Trade Center was the largest deployment of search dogs in U.S. history. Canine teams worked the various sites for several weeks. There were some injuries, but most were able to be treated on site, including lacerations and abrasions. The dogs and their handlers made themselves available on call for 12-hour shifts and often work longer than that. The only dog to lose his life on 9-11 was a yellow Labrador retriever named Sirius. He worked for the Port Authority as a bomb detection dog alongside his sergeant partner, David Lim. Lim and Sirius were in the basement of the South Tower when the North Tower was attacked. He put the four-year-old dog in his kennel and left to check on the situation. Lim told Sirius he would be back for him after he checked on what was going on in the North Tower. But before Lim could return, the South Tower collapsed, followed by the North Tower. Lim was trapped on the fourth floor with six firefighters and an injured woman. They were all safely rescued five hours later. Lim did come back for Sirius as he promised, but it was too late. He continued to look for his partner until eventually, on January 22, 2002, the dog's remains were uncovered. The Port Authority held a memorial service in his honor and have since built a memorial at Battery Park with a beautiful dog run. In addition, the Finding One Another organization is working hard to bring awareness to the working dogs. The first Serious Courage Award will be presented posthumously to Sergeant Zania K. Kramer, USA, the first woman military working dog handler killed in combat in the history of the United States. She died in Afghanistan on January 12, 2011. It will also be presented posthumously to Petty Officer First Class John Dungardia. Dungardia was killed along with his canine partner Bart in the attack on the SEAL helicopter in Afghanistan on August 6, 2011. That attack also claimed the lives of 29 of their fellow service members. The award is named after the only dog to be killed at Ground Zero and will be presented by his handler, Lieutenant Lim, of the Port Authority Police. As it's been a decade, many of the dogs that performed so heroically on and after 9-11 have passed. We begin with Alice Holmes from New Jersey Task Force Team 1. She and her dog named Chewbacca were one of the first teams to arrive at Ground Zero and begin searching for survivors. Alice, thank you for all that you, your dog Chewbacca, and your team did on 9-11. Walk us through the day as you remember it. I was sitting in a college class at Rutgers University, um, and at that time, our team had pagers. Um, so basically, the, we're sitting in class, my pager goes off, 
I look at it. It actually has a printout, and it says, uh, report to Lake Hurst Naval Air Station. We're being deployed to WTC. I didn't really, you know, recognize WTC. I'm, it's an acronym, but, you know, you really didn't think of it that way, and most people probably didn't. And the pager goes off again, and it goes off again, and it says, don't call, just come. Whole team's being deployed. So jumped in my car, uh, left Rutgers University, which is in New Brunswick, and headed down the New Jersey Turnpike, hopped off. I called my husband. Um, he gathered up my gear and my dogs, or my dog, and uh, threw in the back of my vehicle. He looked at me and said, be careful. So I'm getting all this information. At the same time, I'm thinking I've got to get to Lakehurst because our team has a two-hour two recall. So I fortunately made it there in less than, less than a two-hour recall. Uh, they checked us in, grabbed our bags, threw them on vehicles, and um, we put our dogs into New Jersey Transit buses along with the rest of the team and started driving to Ground Zero. And as we got there, you could see, I would say, I don't know, about three-quarters of the way up the turnpike, um, all of a sudden you could see New York, and all you saw was black smoke rising. And we're, we're like, okay, and then we're starting, everybody's getting reports on their cell phones, and um, they get up there, and the, our state police are leading our way, and they're trying to figure out whether we're going to go over a bridge, go through a tunnel, and they closed all of those. And so we kind of drove around in a circle for a little while, trying to figure out, you know, communicating with the state police, how are we going to get into New York? They closed all the accesses from New Jersey. So we finally got in um, to the city, and I think my most uh, biggest memory, biggest memory is walking down the street toward Ground Zero, all the people um, seeing our team walk with our canines, our bat, we had our, you know, bright red backpacks on, our helmets, asking us to find their loved ones, their family members, workers, co-workers, showing us pictures. And this is just after lunch, you know, what, three, four hours after the towers fell and um, asking us to do what they, we can and thanking us for coming. And that was very overwhelming. That was very, I'm sitting there looking at thousands of these people thinking, what am I going to, I'm one, I'm one person, one person. My dog's walking along with all these people in this crowd. He's never been to New York City. And so he was just taking it all in, and I'm watching him, and he's, okay, he's excited. I've got my gear, got my pants on, and he's pumped. He's like, okay, what am I doing? I know I'm supposed to be working. Where are we going? What are we doing? You can see his, and he feeds, these canines feed off of our adrenaline. So when we're up, they're up. When we get stressed, they can get stressed. So we have to kind of be careful not to, to feed them too bad on the stress. We tried so we walked uh, in and got briefed, and we were put right to work, you know, especially the canine. Um, and we stayed there till probably that night, till 3 or 4 on the uh, campus of the community college there, right at, near Ground Zero, sitting there trying to decide whether they're taking us back to the Javits Center or what we're doing. And then we did load up and go back to the Javits Center to get uh, some downtime, got briefed the next morning, and went back to Ground Zero. Uh, so we only got a few hours of downtime that night, and then we sp split up into shifts. So we had two 12-hour shifts. I happened to be on the day shift, and then the, uh, the other half of the team is on the night shift. So how big was the team? We had three um, teams, which are supposed to be 62-person teams each, with each having four canines. And um, 
I'm not sure that day exactly how many people arrived at Ground Zero, but then other people who didn't get to Lakehurst immediately then were transported up later that day and, and that night. So we eventually did have the whole team there. At that time, it was probably, you know, 180 people maybe. And that includes planning, logistics, rescue, uh, medical staff. We have doctors on the team. We have a veterinarian on the team. Um, so, yeah, we have the whole – we're basically self-sufficient. And we're supposed to be self-sufficient for uh, three days minimum with what we carry in our gear bags. Share with us the thoughts that you were having as you were first approaching the site. Um, at that point, a lot of it, there was a lot of smoke still, a lot of hot spot. I mean, everything was hot. And I think the first time I saw the pile, we train on rubble piles. We train on man-made rubble piles. Sometimes we train at recycling facilities. And they're fairly, fairly small, maybe the size of a big house. And I looked at that at ground zero and, and just realized how enormous this fight was. And, and I almost questioned my training, am I ready for this? Because I looked out over that and, and I'm like, where do we start? And then that became evident. You start the moment you stepped onto the pile. Every, all the firefighters, all the rescue people were there, especially with us with the dogs kept yelling, I need a dog over here, could you check this? And we were brought from one place to the next place to the next place, and we actually had to ask them, the dogs are looking for live human spent. Well, if you've got 100 people standing around a hole in the ground where they want to send dogs, all those people have human spent on them. And uh, excited, adrenaline-filled human spent. So we had to say, could you back up a little bit? Could you let the dust settle? And we were also amazed. The other thing, there was no cement. We'd been training on pieces of cement. And when we got there, it was all white powder and girders, you know, steel. So for dogs who train on, you know, big slabs of cement and gravel and rock, they're now walking along these beams that have nothing attached to them. And... Um, so, yeah, it was, um, we just basically started, as soon as we got there, we were given an area, go to work. Do what you can, find what you can, work your dog. Um, the biggest thing is we really didn't get too much of an opportunity to break our dog because every time I stopped searching one area, somebody would ask me to go search another area. When you're asking, they're looking for live people, and, and that's a very time-critical thing. So what was the most difficult part? The most difficult part, I think, having so much that we, what the dogs found, our dogs are, are live flying dogs, and they're looking for live human scent. And in this situation, what they were finding was not alive. And there was an enormous amount of human scent on the pile with all the rescue people, and an enormous amount of human remains in the pile. So the dogs did excellent. They, they, if they found human scent that wasn't alive, our live find dogs will go over, check it, sometimes paw, whine, and then we check it out. We suggest that they check it. It might not be, you know, it's not live human scent because they didn't bark with their bark indication, but there might be something there. And then later on, they sent cadaver dogs through. I think watching my dog and hoping 
that that he could do the job I trained him for and not miss anybody, you know, that um, is still alive and possibly somebody unconscious, possibly somebody buried, you know, 20 feet down. You know, if he catches scent, it's just going to be a little bit of scent. Hopefully he got to, the, you know, he could get to that person before they did pass away. You know, there's, there's all those questions running through your mind where you're working your dog. So how long was your task force at the site? New Jersey Task Force 1 was deployed for 10 days. What is your most vivid memory from the experience? My husband's a firefighter. My whole family, you know, involved in emergency services. Walking down the street, seeing all these crushed emergency service vehicles that were pulled from the rubble lining the street, knowing that the drivers and the people that were in those vehicles died. You know, I know that the first day I was asked to, when they started uncovering a fire truck and an two fire trucks and an ambulance, to send my dog, they got it uncovered enough to get to it, send my dog in to see if he could go under it or through it or around it, under the rubble to see if they could find anybody that maybe dove underneath the truck to keep from being crushed. And he came out, he did not bark. And that was very upsetting. When you're asked to go by firefighters to go find other firefighters underneath emergency service vehicles and find nobody alive, that was upsetting. Alice, thank you so much for sharing your story. And more importantly, thank you for all that you've done and continue to do, all that New Jersey Task Force One has done, your dog Chewbacca, and all the time and effort that you put in to make a difference. Thank you to all of you for doing that. It truly is appreciated. On behalf of all of our listeners, all the people who went through 9-11 from a distance, Again, a heartfelt thank you so much for everything you did. And we thank you for taking the time to educate the public because that's just as important as what we do is that they understand we are out there as volunteers to help. We'll continue our 9-11 look back with John Valvardi after these messages from our sponsors. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Buster, you're telling me my dog food products can't go on your shelves? That's right. Didn't pass one of my Petco certified nutrition checklists. Sorry, Wayne. Who made these checklists? Geniuses. Very smart guys. Well, it's good enough for most grocery stores. Do you see cheese puffs on my shelves? Mayonnaise? Soda pop? No. That's because I ain't running no grocery store, Wayne. Your pets will get better nutrition, I guarantee it. Petco, where the healthy pets go. Enter the code BEHAVE10. BEHAVE, the number 10, and get 10% off any order. No minimum at Petco.com. How would you like your business to reach out and invite in our audience? We have a brand new trademark concept called InfoSeeds. InfoSeeds are short 20-second seeds of information about your place of business, practice, or service. We only have a limited number of slots left. For more information, visit PetLifeRadio.com. Click on Sponsorship Information. There you can listen to a sample of InfoSeed or email us at PetLifeRadio.com. Remember, only a limited number of opportunities are available. New York, the glitz, the glamour, the exciting muttropolis, the sparkling kitty city that never sleeps. Join us each week for Pets in the City. 
with your host, Diane West. Celebrity pet sightings, hot events, and news and reviews with the hottest movers, shakers, and tail waggers in New York. So take a bite out of the Big Apple with Pets in the City. Every week, on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Animaltopia here on Pet Life Radio. We're going to speak with John Valvardi from PA Recovery Dogs. John was the assistant incident commander for the Canine Recovery Task Force at the Fresh Kill Landfill on Staten Island after the events of September 11th, 2001. John, welcome. Tell us a little bit about your responsibilities as the Assistant Incident Commander for the Canine Recovery Task Force. My responsibilities in that role were to set up schedules for figuring out what dogs and handlers were coming in, uh, how they needed to be oriented to the environment. It took time to get the dogs used to the areas, then also making sure that those handlers and dog teams uh, had housing, uh, where they were staying, what shifts they would be working, who they would be working with. We had uh, a lot of volunteers from the New York Sheriff's Department come up, and we had to coordinate with them as to uh, what teams they would be working with and what their role would be with the landfill, as well as coordinating with the FBI and NYPD. Tell us about how the dogs and the teams approach each area. Well, what was occurring was uh, approximately every 20 minutes, a uh, the area was pretty large. Uh, I'd say it was probably close to 75 yards wide by about 75 yards deep. And a tractor trailer with a load of debris would come in and dump in a straight line one pile of debris and there were probably, at any time, three to four piles going. And every 20 minutes, one of those would be rotated, meaning once it was searched by the dogs, um, then a bulldozer would come and take that debris away and, you know, push it off in the landfill. If a dog was working the area and alerted to a certain portion of the debris, then what would happen was we would try and narrow down the area if we needed heavy equipment to come in to pull some of the debris apart, that would be done, and then we would hopefully make a find. When you would make a find, what was the process for that? That would get brought back to the command tent and then uh, get transferred over to the forensics department for NYPD. Now, obviously, the dog's safety is at the foremost mind of the handlers, but this had to be an incredibly challenging experience because of so much debris and, and so much potential for injury. How did you handle that? Uh, it, it was a very dangerous environment. At first, when we got up there, you know, everyone was in Tyvek and with breathing masks and everything else. Uh, the dogs were in booties uh, for the most part, the majority of the dogs. Uh, safety is ultimately left up to the handler's discretion as to how they work their dog, whether it be on lead or off lead. We also were adamant about having decon after every every shift that the dogs worked, that they would get decon. And we were lucky enough to have uh, Animal Planet had their Animal Plant rescue truck, their tractor trailer up there, which we had a veterinarian on site being able to give a full decon to the dogs when they were finished working. 
What was it like for you and the dogs when you first got to the site? Getting up there and all the bells uh, going on, walking around and seeing all these alien-looking people in these big white Tyvek suits with their masks on and their big rakes in their hand and all this debris. It was kind of surreal because uh, we got up there in the evening on the 16th. It was uh, early evening and right after uh, night had fallen. So with all the trucks moving and all the debris and the odor and the people walking around in all the suits, it was uh, it was pretty shocking for a lot of the dogs. When you reflect back, how did the teams and their dogs do? The dogs that were up in the landfill did a phenomenal job um, for the amount of hours they worked to be able to bring the remains back to hopefully get identified and to be put with a family, to be buried, to give someone some little bit of closure for their loved one who was lost is phenomenal. I, I couldn't be prouder of the work that was done up there. John, as you reflect back, what would you say was the hardest part of that entire experience? The hardest part was probably just seeing some uh, large pieces of human remains that were just laying out there or just seeing uh, different items of clothing or different different identifying items that we knew definitely belonged to someone. It's much different than if we were working uh, working a homicide case and looking for a burial as opposed to working that kind of wreckage and just having human remains all over the place. John, thank you so much for all that you and your teams have done, and thank you for joining and sharing with us. Uh, thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. Joining us now, also via phone, is noted author Nona Kilgore Bauer. She is the author of the incredible book, Hero Dogs of September 11th, a tribute to America's search and rescue dogs. Nona, thank you for joining us. You know, as I look at the book and I read the stories, they're all so touching. They're all so inspiring. When you look at the totality of the book, how do you describe the book? I guess a complete sense of sadness and desperation, uh, but at the same time of courage and bravery and tenacity, the attributes that we don't normally connect with the canines, um, the fact that these dogs and their brave, brave handlers, the, the jobs they did with their dogs were so remarkable and uh, something that the average American could never possibly imagine. I think that was the sense that I got of the whole thing. Nona, what did you learn most while researching and writing this book? I think what really I found so awesome, and it really blew me away, was the complete dedication of these handlers. They dedicate their entire lives to their mission of search and rescue. They Sometimes at their own expense, they can spend up to $3,000 on their equipment. Their travel expenses to training missions and testing sites is at their own expense. They train two, three days a week, a little bit with their own dog every day. They train with groups two or three days a week. And two weekends a month, they go on training meets. And they miss ballet recitals, piano recitals, soccer games, family dinners, so their family sacrifices, wow, it's really a total family effort. That's what I never knew, and that's what people need to understand about this, the world of search and rescue. These people are totally dedicated. This job does not come easy, and that accomplishment does not come easily. Um, it, it's, a, it's their life.
And that's something I did not know. I had no idea before I wrote this book. Nona, were you surprised as you were gathering the information about these dogs' efforts? So I really wasn't surprised because after breeding retrievers for 30 years and training dogs, I know how brilliant they are. I know the skills they're capable of accomplishing. So I I really wasn't surprised at them. I just did not, I wasn't familiar with the landscape on which they perform and train, but I wasn't surprised at all because um, the canine is God's greatest gift to humanity. It's simply something I've always believed, and and I am uh, just always, not surprised, but always thrilled to know about one more thing they have done and accomplished in this really complicated human world. Is there a particular story that really stands out to you? The one that really struck me from the very beginning in the writing of the book, Mr. Semmer was a firefighter from New Jersey Task Force. Sonny Weinman was his name, and he had a German shepherd named Piper. They were at Ground Zero four hours after the attacks. They were one of the first four task forces to arrive at the scene. And his description of how when Piper just barely put his nose to the ground, just sniffed at a certain spot, a dozen firefighters would be all over him, digging with their bare hands, trying to find one of their fallen brothers. It was He's, that's when the desperation and sadness really struck him, and that is when the desperation and sadness reached me as well, given his story, because that picture is burned in my brain. Uh, it, it was, I think, typical of what was going on all over Ground Zero with every search and rescue handler and all the firefighters around them. Tell us about the new edition of the book and why there was a need to do a new edition of the book. My publisher and editor and I just agreed that it was time to not reinvent the book because this 10th anniversary edition is it contains all the same material. It's been reformatted and redesigned a little bit, but we have added 100 pages of new material about things that were not covered in the first edition and things that are a little more current because of the events going on today. But we... The mission of the book, Mr. Simro, is to make sure people recognize and honor the work that these dogs did, because without the search and rescue dogs, there would literally be many hundreds of families that would not have had their friends and loved ones to bury, and America needs to know that, and that's the mission that I'm still on with that book. And so we uh, we felt that a 10th anniversary edition was appropriate, very appropriate, to mark the 10th anniversary of 9-11. What we have in this book is uh, we have a chapter on the therapy dogs that worked at the three family assistance centers. They were there to comfort the families of the victims that were waiting for word if their loved one had been found. And their stories are incredibly touching because these were trained therapy dogs, trained to respond to human emotions and their sense of how these people felt and what drew them to various individuals and how those people sank to their knees and hugged and cried hugging the dogs is so poignant. It's really visceral. Um, that, and we also have a chapter on 
the bomb dogs, the dogs that are, are trained to detect the um, explosive devices, and these dogs are trained to do that, then they are paired with Marines who, and soldiers who are then trained to work with the dogs, and they go off to Afghanistan, and the dogs are saving hundreds of military lives over there because they can sniff out these very minute odors that would blow up a tank. And that's a direct result of 9-11. And so we, I believe that those dogs needed to be included because those dogs and those Marines are equally as great heroes as our 9-11 people. So I just, I, I'd still be writing. I could find more heroes to write about, but, but eventually you have to wrap up a book. The one thing I, I really wanted to emphasize that uh, I neglected to mention earlier was the dual role that the dogs played at Ground Zero and even at the Pentagon. Now, these dogs are trained to do the search work, and then they had downtime. They'd be on the pile for half an hour, and then they'd be off the pile for, for a rest period. And during their downtime, they became therapy dogs themselves. The firefighters and the rescue workers would come over to the dogs and hug, hug them and pet them and cry on them, just like people did with the therapy dogs at the family assistance centers. And in, in many cases, amazingly, the dogs would seek out a certain person. They might spot a firefighter sitting, you know, propped up against a wall with his head, you know, in his arms, just exhausted and, and depressed, and the dogs would go over and lay their head right on that guy's lap. And those kinds of scenes, that kind of um, ability, those sensitivities, and that's another amazing contribution that the dogs provided to the 9-11 rescue effort, that they were able to comfort as well as search. Right? And how, how awesome is that? It's incredible. And, you know, we all think we know what animals are, are capable, especially our dogs, yet often we forget what they truly can bring to this world. Yeah, and we know they have that ability, but we're not always able to show it or display it or find an example of it. And here during 9-11, we had hundreds of examples of that. You know, that was the epitome of the dog in every respect possible. I think one of the interesting side stories, if you will, of 9-11 was that amongst the tragedy and the sadness and the sorrow, there came a point where we turned things around where we said we're going to get through this and we're going to come out stronger, better, and we're going to do things in a different way. And I think certainly that was led by the humans, but it was also propelled and inspired by the animals that were there helping side by side with the humans. Did you get a sense for that as well? You know, I, I would agree with that because the dog spirits never sagged, and the dogs are willing to work indefinitely. You know, so they were, I believe, an inspiration that they will go on and continue and that we have to do likewise. In so many cases, the dogs would go to the veterinary medical assistance tent to be, after every, every turn on the pile, after each search mission, 
they went to the veterinary tent for care. They had total body shampoos. Their ears were flushed. Their eyes were flushed. Their paws were put into um, an antibacterial uh, dip to cleanse them. So the dogs were very well taken care of. And in or if the dog is perhaps being treated for a cut paw or a little bit of a burn, those dogs throughout that were tugging at the leash to go back and work. They didn't want to stop. That inspired people, inspires people to go on. I think the spirit of the dog is an inspiration. I agree with you 100%. Nona, thank you so much for capturing these incredible efforts by these amazing animals. Thank you for the book. Thank you for the many books you've written. Thank you for joining us. And I really am honored that you were on the show today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And thank you for for helping to promote um, the search and rescue dogs that served during 9-11 and continue to serve. So we thank you, too. I also want to thank Abby from the Finding One Another organization. This organization is doing a lot of great work. I'd urge you to visit their site at findingoneanother.org. I also want to share one last thing that all of the search and rescue teams, the working dog teams, the Finding One Another organization, and Nona all stress to me. The efforts by the search and rescue and work teams are a labor of love. These wonderful people and their amazing dogs have a tremendous amount of dedication. They spend an unbelievable amount of time, money, and effort to make sure that there is hope in times of tragedy and need. Sadly, there are too few search and rescue teams. Since most are privately funded and require a huge commitment, the resources are stretched thinner each day. I would urge all of you to think about some way that you can help their efforts, even if it's with a thank you and some appreciated encouragement. 9-11 was a tragedy. We miss all those who perished. I end the show by again saying thank you to all of you who served in this nation's critical time of need. We do appreciate you. For Animaltopia, Pet Life Radio, and all of those who made this show possible, today I humbly say thank you, and I look forward to our next adventure in Animaltopia. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs>